Hey, this morning we are finishing a journey that has taken us 14 weeks through the entire story of Scripture. For the last, goodness, almost three months, we have been walking through the journey, uh, the story of Scripture, and today we are at the very, very end of it. But before we get there, I do want to reiterate what Emily has said, that next week is Easter morning. And really, it's, it's a Sunday you don't want to miss, but not only the, the, the Sunday itself you don't want to miss, you don't want to miss the series that is going to precede it. We are starting a series titled The Amazing Grace of God. Now, I think one of the things that makes grace um, so amazing, so interesting, is that grace is the thing that we most long for when we are wrong, right? I mean, you guys have all experienced this. When you are wrong, don't you just desire and crave grace for someone to be gracious towards you? And yet on the flip side of that, isn't grace the thing that we are most hesitant to give away when we have been wronged? Man, we want it, right? And it makes grace beautiful and amazing when we receive it. But to give it away, I mean, that's a lot to ask. It's almost irksome. It's almost frustrating to have to give it away when we are wrong. Something else about grace that we're going to reflect on this morning in a little more detail in just a few minutes is that grace is actually the solution to just about every relational problem that we face. And yet grace is that thing that we most resist. And so we have the solution in our hands, and yet we resist it almost at all costs. Now, I don't say this lightly, but I really do believe that the next series, the three weeks, could really change your life. Absolutely could change your life. And not only your life, but the life of your friend and your family member and your neighbor and your coworker, the person who is ridden with guilt and has a burden upon them and they just are so stricken by their conscience that they don't know what to do with themselves. Those people could also absolutely be changed by a series like this. And I believe that God is going to do something amazing in part because isn't God's grace amazing? Get an amen. Amen. Come on. Amazing grace. You can respond. It's okay. We can, we can be, it's okay. And beyond you, who do you know that needs to hear a message on God's grace? Who do you know that needs to be enveloped in God's grace? Who do you know that is walking around with so much guilt or so much shame or so much brokenness or their conscience is just weighing down upon them that needs to be freed from that? This is the series to invite them to. Maybe you know someone who is just weighed down by the heavy hand of religion. I mean, in Jesus' day, there were people who weighed people down by the heavy hand of religion all the time. The Pharisees, man, they put such a weight and such a burden on the people that the people walked away crippled under the weight of their religion. What does Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest for my yoke, my teaching, my grace is light. And so who do you know that needs the grace of God? Invite them, invite them, invite them to join you next week, Easter, and then also the weeks beyond. And so my friends, even now, put it in your calendar. Plan to join us 9 or 10.30 the next three weeks. This could absolutely change your life. I have no doubt about that. This could be the beginning of something amazing for you. We do have invitations available if you would like. Uh, these are available at both entrances. They're available at the next stop and the New Here kiosk as well. So I encourage you to take as many of these as you can hand out. Invite people to restoration not just the church, but to life change, really. That's what we're all about. Invite people into the life change that maybe you've experienced or could experience here. This morning, we are concluding what I've already said has been an epic journey, 14 weeks through the story of Scripture. And so here's what I would suggest, that um, if you have not been with us and you're interested in the story of Scripture, that you go back and listen either on our app or by downloading uh, our, our app, subscribing to our podcast, uh, going on our media page of our website. For, in 10 hours, you get the entire, entire story of Scripture. And the reason we've done a, a series like this is because 
A lot of people know just enough stories of the Bible to be convinced and feel justified in dismissing the whole thing. I had a conversation with a gentleman this week um, that felt this exact same way. He knew the story of Jonah and the whale. He knew the story of David and Goliath. And those two stories alone were, were enough to convince him that the entire thing is a bunch of BS. None, nobody could ever believe in this. Why would anybody ever believe in this? And so we gave up the whole thing without even considering that the grand narrative of the whole story is trying to communicate. And so the reason we've done a series of series like this, the last three series, uh, the two preceding this, um, is because we want to help you understand the story of Scripture. Because it's a beautiful story. It's a redemptive story. It's our story because we are certainly part of that story. But the world thinks the story is outdated, antiquated. It's a fairy tale that doesn't apply to our modern scientific world. And so by telling the whole story, we hope that you will understand how relevant and important this story still is. And again, it's not just a story. It is your life. We're enveloped in it. But today we're looking at the only portion of this scripture, the only portion of this story that is yet to happen. It's the future It's a vision that was cast of what the the future holds for each one of us, for the world that God loves and the world that God created. All we have is this vague metaphorical vision of what this future holds. And yet it is the cry, I believe. It is the longing, it is the craving of every human heart that walks upon this planet. A couple of nights ago, my five-year-old daughter um, was telling me about a situation at school that, that just broke her heart. And, uh, and she was telling me, and as she was telling me the story as I was putting her to bed, she actually started crying as she was telling me the story of the situation at school. And then she asked me this really like, mature and inspiring question, and I, have, I haven't told her what I'm preaching on. She had no idea that I'm preaching on this this week, but she said, Daddy, in the end, is God going to make everything new? I mean, there was something about the situation that was breaking her heart, that was bringing her to tears, that prompted her to ask, Daddy, is it always going to be this way? Am I always going to cry when things like this happen? Am I always going to be heartbroken? Am I always going to mourn the loss of friendship? Am I always going to feel this way? Or is God, in the end, going to do something about it? And isn't that a question that we all ask? I think it is the question that we all ask. I think we've all been there. See, John, one of the first followers of Jesus, had a really unique opportunity to peer behind the curtain that separates heaven and earth. And he looked behind, and here's what he saw. He recorded what he saw in the document we call Revelation. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Now, there's a little detail in here that there won't be any sea that may make a lot of you very, very sad, right? Because you love the sea. You love the ocean. It's your place of peace. It's like, oh, there can't be no more sea. I love the waves. I love the sound of the ocean. Now, what he's saying here isn't that there will literally be no more water or sea or ocean upon the earth. What he's saying is that there will be no more corruption or pain or dying, or death, or evil, or wickedness, because the sea in Judaic tradition, and as he had already stated in the book of Revelation, that is where they all originate. The sea is where all of the corruption and all of the evil that was in the world originated. So what he's saying is that that is not going to be no more. That is going to be done away with. God is going to rid the world of the source of chaos. So when God brings about recreation, none of that will exist in his new world. He continues, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. 
They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So this is the great reversal, right? But it's also the great installing of what was always intended to be. At the end of the story, what we have is a brand new beginning. God is bringing it back full circle, recreating something new in the beginning. You see, way back in Genesis, God took all of the chaos and all of the creation, all the corruption that he had seen, and he began to bring it somewhere beautiful. With the end goal that he would actually dwell among his creation, that he would be with his people, be on the earth, dwelling with his creation. It was always God's intention to dwell with his people. He creates men and women in his image to represent him, to be like him, with a vocation to co-rule and to co-labor with him upon the earth. But we failed. And if you've been with us the last several weeks, you know that we have failed. We did not live up to the standard and the vocation that God had put before us. Instead of loving God and loving others, we chose to love ourselves. Instead of considering the needs of others first, we chose to prioritize ourselves. We put ourselves at the center of our existence. We put ourselves upon the throne. We made it all about us. In the end of the day, it's all about me, 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 me. And that was the problem. We had failed. We did not live up to God's standards for us to love others and to love God. We chose to love ourselves first. And immediately, pain and death flood the earth as creation is flipped upside down and humans walk away from relationship with God. And we know this and we feel this because every single time that we walk away from God and that we are far from God, we hurt. And that, my friends, is where we hurt others. We feel this, we know this, we cry and we mourn and we long for a day when pain and crying and mourning are no more. I mean, think about it. Think about the last time you experienced pain or hurt or agony or chaos or corruption or evil. Think about the last time that you hurt others. Now, this isn't the most recent example, um, but it was the one that first came to mind when I prepared this message. This past summer, my family and I went uh, camping in the, in the Adirondack Mountains. And so the Adirondacks, you know, hilly, really hilly campsites. And we're on the slope and, and it's all gravel, you know, rocky roadways um, leading down. And so it's the last morning that we're camping and, and uh, we're getting ready. And it just so happens to be raining. And so the roads are slick and the gravel is wet and everything is wet. And uh, my son, Ethan, my 10-year-old Ethan, he says, hey, guys, I'm going to go down to the bathroom to get ready for the day, brush my teeth, you know, do anything to do. And we're like, okay, bud, be safe, you know. Don't ride your bike, by the way, because it's going to be slippery. Uh, They've been riding their bikes all over the place. They've had so much fun riding up and down the hills. They just had a blast, right? And so what does he do? We tell him not to do any of this, but what does he do as a 10-year-old boy? You know, okay, I'm not going to put a shirt on, by the way. I'm not going to put shoes on. I'm not going to put my helmet on. But I'm going to go take my bike in the rain, in the slick conditions, down to the bathroom. And so he gets down there, and he sees this hill, this giant hill, right, a 100-foot hill that the kids have been going up and down all, all week long. They've just had a blast doing this. He's like, oh, this is my last opportunity to go down the best hill on the campsite. And so what does he do? No shirt, no shoes. There's a problem. No helmet. There's a problem, right? He goes down. He starts. He carries his bike up to the top. He, he gets ready, and he goes down this hill, and he wipes out at the bottom, and his body just skids 15 feet across the wet gravel at the bottom. And we just hear this blood-curdling scream that echoed throughout the campsite, and we're at the top 100 feet away. And I throw on my shoes and my clothes, and I jump out of that tent as fast as I can, and I run to him, and I see my son, Ethan, dragging his bike up the hill, and he is covered from head to toe in his own blood. His body is shredded by the gravel and the dirt that he skidded out. And we just, we thanked the Lord that his ear didn't get ripped off. I mean, that his neck wasn't broken. We thanked the Lord that he was actually able to stand. He looked like a zombie walking up a hill, I kid you not. It was a grotesque, horrifying scene. 
And what does my heart as a father do when I see my son bloodied and broken crawling up this hill? Do I break, right? I mean, I am brokenhearted. My heart starts pleading that he would be okay. I start screaming inside, and quite literally, that he would be okay. You guys ever been there? I felt the same way when my mom called me just last, last week or two weeks ago. She said, uh, Ross, I need back surgery. I have a degenerative back issue, and my bone, my spine is fusing together, and my spinal fluid is pooling up in my back, and if I don't have this back surgery soon, I could be paralyzed. But it's a very high-risk surgery, and if they, you know, mix anything up or fail anything, then I could also be paralyzed. And I could just hear the fear and the trembling in her voice, and my heart just broke for her, and I cried for a day, and I longed for a day when our bodies wouldn't decay in this way. I felt the same way this past week when I read about this little boy in Minnesota who was at the Mall of America with his family. You may have heard this story. Three-year-old boy walking on the third floor of the Mall of America, and this random stranger walks up to him, picks him up, and throws him over the edge. My heart longs for a day when corruption and evil are no more. Maybe you know someone, or maybe it was you, that was diagnosed with cancer. I mean, what are you crying for when you hear that diagnosis? What are you longing for deep inside your bones? What do you want? You want a world that is free of the decay of our bodies, do you not? Think of the last time you fought or had an argument with someone that you care about, and your anger reduced you to tears. I mean, deep down inside, what were you angry about? Didn't you want forgiveness for what you had said, and didn't you want them to apologize? Didn't you want reconciliation? Don't you long for a day when that kind of thing is no longer a reality? Think of the last time that you looked into a coffin at a funeral and you mourned the loss of that person that you loved. What is the mourning, right? What are you grieving? What is the mourning saying? You're pleading that there would be a miracle, that you could be reunited, that this person might even come back to life, perhaps, that you want to be together again with this person. You are pleading for a day when death no longer has the last word. And so, my friends, we can't move too fast past this. We need to sit in that pain a little bit. We need to sit in the chaos and the corruption and the fear a little bit if we're going to fully understand the beauty of the solution of it all. You see, our pain and our sorrow and our mourning and all of the cries that we express in our pain, these are also cries for a world that doesn't contain it. Every time you cry out in your pain, you are also crying for a world that is rid of that pain. And when God is with his people, when relationship with God is reestablished, when he sits rightfully on his throne, then life flourishes. See, we're told that when that day happens, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death and mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I mean, when you read this and when you hear this, doesn't your heart just skip a beat a little bit? Isn't there something deep inside you that just longs for that day to be today? Isn't there something deep within you that rejoices and longs and craves for this to happen? That because of the fight that you had this morning with your spouse or with your child, or because of the diagnosis that you just received, because of the pain that you experienced when you were hurt, when you were wounded, and the things that you said to someone and the things they said to you, all of the chaos and the corruption and the craziness that we experience upon this earth, doesn't it all lead you to desperately want and desire this day to be today? My friends, the good news is that it can be today. Maybe not fully, maybe not in its fruition, but it can be today. See, what most people don't realize about this text in Revelation is that 
It speaks to a day that is only partially in the future. He continues, He who is seated on the throne, that is Jesus he's referring to, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy. These words are true. Right? The old, corrupt, backwards, upside-down world where pain and hurt and regret and guilt reign, all of that is going to be undone. The day that your soul most deeply longs for is coming. This is a promise. But then he says something we can't fully comprehend or grasp and that most people don't even realize or claim is even true. Jesus keeps on talking. He says, it is done. Well, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean it is done, Jesus? Like, like what you've just said about tears being wiped away and pain coming to an end and the chaos being over and the grieving being no more, all of that stuff, what do you mean it is done? Yes, it is done. You see, nothing about this vision of the future is entirely future. But Jesus, then why... Why is there still pain? Why do I still hurt? Why does the chaos still seem to win? And to provide an answer as to why we're confused by this, I I need to go back and rehash a very important part of the story. You see, when humans failed to live up to God's intention for us, way back in the beginning of the story, immediately humans began to do what all humans always do. We turned to religion. Now, to give you a definition of what religion is, religion is just the things we do in order to fix the problem we know we have, right? That's all religion is. We do something because I know I have a problem, and I'm going to do something to try to fix the problem that I know that I have. Adam and Eve, right away in the very beginning, for instance, right? They know that they're, that they're sinful. Uh, they know that they are full of shame and that they are guilty. And so what do they do? They, they cover it up. And when that doesn't work, they run away. And when that doesn't work, they start to blame shift. It's not my fault, it's your fault. My friends, all of that is just religion. Yeah, it's not done in a mosque or a temple or a synagogue or a church, but it is religion. They tried to do something to cover up, to fix, to run away from the problem that they knew that they had. And we too know there is a problem. Because we wake up depressed. And we hate going to work. And we fight with our spouses and with our children and we feel guilty for doing things and we feel ashamed of our behavior and we feel the burden of our conscience for the things we're considering doing. And we cry and we mourn when we learn that little boys are thrown over the edge of shopping malls. And we watch the news and our hearts break. And we get that phone call and we begin to weep and we begin to mourn and we remember what that person said to us. I mean, friends, we know that there is a problem, right? I don't have to convince you that there is a problem about living on this planet. We know it. Deep in the fiber of our bones, we know it. Every day, in some way, you know it to be true. And as we've already concluded, we all long for a day when it will be no more. But in the meantime, every day, in some way, we still try to fix it. We are religious. In fact, everybody is religious. Whether by covering up your guilt or running away from your problems or blaming someone else for why your situation or your life is the way it is or drinking it away or trying to feel normal through pills or injections or lighting candles or saying prayers or going to confessional booths or eating away for all of this is just something we are trying to do to fix the problem that we all know that we have. See, not all religion is done in churches or synagogues or mosques or temples. Everybody is religious. We're all trying to fix the problem we all know we have, except 
those who follow Jesus. And I kid you not when I say this, but those who follow Jesus are literally the only ones on the face of the planet who are not religious. And you might think I'm absurd for saying that. You may even take great offense to me saying that. I know some people, even this last week who I've talked to, have taken great offense with me telling them that they are religious. Um, I tell them that I'm actually not religious, and I'm one of the few people on the, on the planet who are not religious, but you're religious. They're like, I'm not religious. People take great offense to this. It's kind of funny. Uh, but everybody's religious except the followers of Jesus. We are literally the only ones who are not attempting to fix the problem we know that we have by doing something ourselves. We are the only ones who rely on what has been done for us in order to fix the problem we know that we have. You see, the gospel of Jesus is not good advice. It's not telling us to do more. It's not trying to tell us to do something, to to work harder, to to engage in some sort of self-help. It's not encouraging us to do something. There are people all throughout the world meeting in all sorts of different buildings on multiple days of the week who are being encouraged to do something to fix the problem that they know that they have, but that is not the gospel of Jesus. No, the gospel of Jesus, my friends, is good news that something has already been done for us to fix the problem that we know we have. He is asking us to trust in what he has already accomplished. And in so doing, we get to grab hold of that future where pain and death and sorrow and mourning are no more. And we get to bring it back down into our current reality. You see, the reason that the future is not merely future is because Jesus, as John continues, is the Alpha and the Omega. Now, the Alpha and Omega, those are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And so it's kind of like saying, I am the A and the Z. I'm the beginning, I am the end. I am the creator, but I'm also the rescuer. I am the already, but I'm all, but it's the not yet. Something has happened, but it's not yet full. And to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And so the question, my friends, I want to leave you with this morning is this, are you thirsty? Not literal because it's hot in here, right? I mean, we're all a little thirsty, but like, are you thirsty? Who here after treading upon this earth is tired? Who of you is worn out? We can raise some hands. I'm fine with that. You guys want to raise hands? Sure. Who's aching and who is hurting? Who is burdened by what someone has said to them or what you have said to somebody else? what someone has done to you or what you have done to somebody else. And who is burdened by the weight of your own attempts at fixing it? You've tried, you've tried, you've tried, and you are burdened by the weight of trying to fix it. My friends, there is no solution to your problem within your own strength. There is nothing that you have the power to do that will ever fix the problem that you know you have. And you need to own that this morning. That's really the first step, is acknowledging this. You need to own that. You have to own that you have a problem, or we've settled that, I think. We all recognize that there is a problem with being upon this planet, deep within ourselves. It's not just out there, it is actually within me. And the solution cannot be found within myself. You need to own that. But do you know what we call a gift without cost? As John had referred, uh, as Jesus had referred to this, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost, without cost, a gift without cost, the water of life, the solution to the longings and the cravings of our tired and weary souls, a gift that is freely given. Do you know what we call that? 
My friends, we call it grace. A gift given without cost is called grace. And grace is what we all so desperately long for, but it is what we most resist. And the reason we resist it is because religion is always hostile to the gospel of Jesus. The reason we resist grace is because it is in opposition to our entire way of life, which puts me at the center of everything, even my attempts at fixing myself. And the reason I cannot fix myself is because myself is the problem. And if I'm the problem, I cannot be the solution. And so, my friends, there is no solution to the problem that I have within my own strength, within my own abilities. The solution to the problem I know I have is not within me. But all of our lives, we've tried and we've tried and we've tried to fix it. We've tried religion. We've tried doing something ourselves to fix the problem of our guilt by doing something ourselves, of our shame by doing something, of our burdened conscience by doing something. Every religion in the world including the religion of atheism, has tried to fix the problem themselves. And they strive and they strive and they strive and to no avail. There is no solution within ourselves. We try and we try and somehow the cravings of a world that is free from pain and are free from guilt and are free from shame, they never actually disappear. You see, what we need in the midst of our guilt is to be forgiven. And what we most want in the midst of our shame is to be accepted. And what we most long for in the midst of our pain is to be healed. And what we most desire in the midst of being broken is to be whole. And my friends, grace, grace is the means to it all. It is not your own abilities. It is not your own strength. So many of you have been told throughout most of your life that if you just go into this place and say these things to this person and you hold this bead in your hand and you say these words to this God, that somehow you will be forgiven. And you walked away and you said, why then do I still feel guilty? My friends, religion cannot save you. Only God's grace can fix the problem that you know that you have. I'm going to invite Emily forward as we reflect on this, as we sing one final song together. My friends, God's grace is the, is the means to this new world. The, the new world that has been presented to us, this vague vision of the future that we can pull down into our current realities is given to us by the grace of God. We cannot earn it we cannot grasp it through our own efforts and through our own means. It is only by the grace of God. And my friends, you may be longing for a renewed experience today. You may feel the burden because you had a fight with your spouse before you came into church. Maybe you screamed and yelled at each other as you drove into the parking lot and then you put on your Sunday best as you walked in here. Maybe it was with your kids. Maybe someone said to you some, said some things to you that made you hurt. Or maybe you said something to somebody else who made you hurt. We are all experiencing the pain, the guilt, the shame, the burden of our conscience. There's a problem with living on this planet. And my friends, if you've come to the end of your rope and you're sick and tired of trying to rescue yourselves, I have really, really good news for you. Somebody has already come into the world who has taken away the burden that you struggle through. 
Jesus has come into the world, commissioned by God and his love for us to come and to take away the burden of this world. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, or if he is just some vague figure, or if he is just some image upon a painting that your parents had in their hallway, if he's just some abstract figure that you've heard of, but you have never entered into a relationship with him, if you've only known him through your religion, then my friends, let me introduce you to Jesus, who might be, who is, the means to your freedom. The prayer I'm about to pray is not a magic prayer. But if you prayed along with me, if that is your heart's desire, if you recognize that you are broken and your sin has caused you, that you are the problem, that you are the mess, and you want freedom from that this morning, then crying out to God and asking for his grace is really all you need to do. It is a free gift given to you. There's nothing that you can do to earn this. There's nothing that you do to deserve this. It is a free gift given to you through faith, through belief, through trust. God, I trust that what you say about me is true, that I am loved unconditionally, and that you have come to my rescue, that you have taken upon my burden and my sin and my guilt upon your shoulders, that you have taken it away, and in exchange you have given me your life. That is what you are trusting in. And so I'm going to say this prayer, and again, it's not magic prayer, it's not words. A lot of you have said prayers like this in your past, but I would really encourage you to say a prayer like this constantly, daily, Preach yourself the gospel every single day, my friends, because the grace of God will transform you to be more like Jesus. And so whether you've prayed this prayer a million times or, ready, or, or if you're ready to pray it maybe for the first time this morning, I would encourage you to pray this prayer along with me. Father in heaven, I acknowledge, I confess, I believe about myself that I am a wreck, that I am a mess, Father. I have abandoned you. I have rejected you. You have called me to be human, and I've lived more like an animal. You've called me to love you, and I've really only loved myself. I've put myself at the center of my being. Father, I am a sinner. I acknowledge it. I confess it is true. And Father, I also admit that I've tried to cover it up. And I've tried to blame other people for my problems. And I've tried to run away. And I've tried to drink it down. And I've tried to work harder to earn more money because I thought maybe that would fulfill me, Father. But I have these longings within me for something new and something different and something better, Father. And I just can't seem to grasp it. I'm trying and I'm trying to fix the problem, Father. And I've tried. And I admit that, Father. I confess that I have tried religion. And yet, Father, it has not worked. It has failed me every single time. And so, Father, you say that if we believe in you, if we trust in you. Father, if we cry out for your grace, this free gift that is not conditioned upon how good I live my life, is not conditioned, Father, upon me earning it or whether I deserve it or not, Father, it is simply given freely because you love me, Father. If I reach out, Father, and grasp your grace given to me through what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross, Father, then you will take all of the burden that I'm trying to fix. You will take the sin in my life, Father, that I'm trying to get rid of. I lay it before you, Father. It's, it's exposed. Here it is, Father. 
and, and you take it now through the cross of Jesus Christ and in exchange for it, you give me your life. I don't understand it, Father, but I believe and I desire it and I desperately, desperately want it to be true of me. And so, Father, I ask that you would do this in me, Father, by your grace, create in me a new life, Father. The life that you have promised in the future where there is no more pain or mourning or crying, all the tears are wiped away, Father. Begin that in me today. Begin that in me today, Father. I trust in your name and what you have done for me. I'm not relying on what I have done. I trust in what you have accomplished for me, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace, Father. Do your work in me, I ask. All of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you said that prayer maybe for the first time today, or you are recommitting your life to Christ, there uh, in the, on the connection card in front of you, there is a spot at the very bottom that says, I gave my life to Christ, or I recommitted my life to Christ. I really encourage you guys to fill that out. Let us know. We want to be in touch with you. We want to help you on this journey towards Christ-likeness, guys. It is so exciting. The grace of God is amazing. It will change your life. I guarantee it.